Welcome, friends. Um, today, we're going to talk about why to go to peace against war uh, instead of going to war against, you know, someone or other or something or other. War on war. This will be easy or difficult. Um, yeah, so kind of, uh, and I want to talk about both, like, yeah, pfft, if we need a reminder, which apparently we do, so I guess everyone, we should probably all start talking about this more, um, is why war is not a good idea. And it's only right in self-defense. Violence is only ju justifiable as self-defense. If someone is being violent I have um, against me or someone I care about, this is where the question, I mean, I don't know, obviously I don't have all the answers, but um, I think I have a few answers and um, a lot of questions, and um, so I'm going to try to explore them uh, today. Um, but, you know, to defend myself, absolutely, I have a right to self-defense. Um, to defend someone in my family, of course, I am my family, so I have a right to self-defense there. My friends, well, I am one of my friend circle, so I have a right to self-defense. If someone's attacking one of my friends, I can protect them. What about strangers? Well, I'm a stranger to someone, um, and I'm strange to a lot of people. Uh, no, but uh, I mean, I'm human, so do I have the right to self-defense for my fellow human? Um, I mean, I, I would think, yeah, you should intervene if someone can't stand up for themselves. Um, and even if they can, then, but I think, say two people are try fighting in the street, and if I saw that one, of, if we saw it was mutual, I would kind of stay out of it, or um, maybe try and cool them down, and go, all right, lads, come on, who wants a sandwich? Let's chill out. But I don't know, maybe I just leave them to it, you know, I don't know what it's about, maybe they're both, you know, like gangsters, and it's not my thing, you know. Um but uh, if one person didn't want to be involved and they're trying to avoid it and the other was pressing, then maybe, yeah, you know, I would try to go, all right, what, you know, hey guys, you know, do we need to be doing this? You know, I don't know, try to step in and like just not get hurt. So, you know, be wary for that, but like try to cool things down. Sometimes there's two egos, neither wants to look weak and step down. And so it keeps escalating. And so if someone else can step in and allow them both to save face, then they might actually be grateful, or at least one of them, maybe both, to have to avoid that fight. Um, and so you can go in and just try to talk it out and cool it down. If need be, if someone was trying to push you out and beat up the other, then yeah, maybe you know you should intervene physically, um, but be aware that you need to be careful because you're going to be um, targeted by the, you know, the oppressor there or whatever, the attacker, the aggressor, um, or you might be. Um, and you also don't know, maybe, you know, the guy who's starting the fight, maybe the other guy was, you know, him and his pals, you know, jumped on the dude the day before, and maybe it's actually self-defense, just with a time delay. Um, well, you could say maybe it's not self-defense, but is that vengeance then? Hmm, is that justifiable? Um, or maybe, you know, that person was doing something was totally out of line and doing something really dangerous and continuing to do something dangerous, and maybe this person is communicating in the only way that that person will understand and they're saying hey you know and they're threatening them with violence or they're going to hurt them 
And I don't know. I don't go around beating people up, but I can understand that potentially if someone was doing some horrible things, perhaps some, the, I could imagine, I don't know if it's true, but I can imagine that possibly some people, if they got beaten up, they would go, all right, yeah, I get it. I was out of line or something. You know, Maybe they would change for the better. I don't know, or maybe not. I'd imagine they're more likely to double down and just get you know, tit for tat, you know, eye for an eye makes the whole world blind sort of thing. Um, but, uh, and yeah, I think definitely just talking is the best way and you know in the moment defend yourself if someone's attacking but then not going back oh hey three years ago you attacked my friend i'm going to attack you now you know um where does that get us it doesn't seem sustainable um so but yeah so just use you know speaking firmly communicating clearly um i think and asking questions is very important for that Trying to understand, put yourself in the other person's shoes. Try to understand them. Try to help them understand you. So speak clearly um, and try to point out the process to them. Like, hey, look, I'm trying to see through your eyes. I'm genuinely trying to see your point of view. I, you said this, so I understand that blah, 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 blah. And in your own words, say what they've been saying to you. And then that's going to prove to them that you've been paying attention. You can, you're not even just coughing up, repeating what they said, but you're rephrasing it, paraphrasing it. So they would go, hmm, all right, you're doing something that a lot of people don't bother to do, um, which is you know, pay attention, actually listen, and exercise empathy. So that there should mitigate against their aggression to some extent. And you can, you can ask them, hey, look, so you offer that and say, hey, you know, now I ask you to do the same for me. You know? Treat me with respect. And I think deep down most people actually are, do operate upon you know, kind of these harmonious virtues of respect, give and take. I think um, we are descended from the people, the, from the survivors of the survivors of the survivors, etc. I think, as you know, uh, fate would have it, what the the qualities which um, are conducive to survival are virtues. They are living in balance with nature's laws. So it's actually honourable qualities are um, what get you you know, to survive, like being like a tyrant, that's not sustainable, you know, um, it's cooperation, it's give and take, it's decentralized problem solving, where you have a hundred different people and everyone gives their opinion and we don't just force everyone to do the same thing. And then if there's some sort of calamity, if a hundred different people have been, you know, offering their ideas or offering their services or goods or, or they're living in their own ways, if half of them are taken out by this environmental shift, um, or whatever it is, um, then you'll still have a lot of people who can adapt and survive in the new milieu because they've been they've had that decentralization, that, that freedom. So that's just one little example where like you can see how this makes sense that things that we would call like honorable or noble or beautiful or good, virtuous, um, they're actually just kind of um, essentially distillations of, the laws of nature of what's sustainable and harmonious, and um, and so I think um, it's a you know apparently psychopathy is about like four percent of the population globally, which is pretty freaking huge really. That's kind of hmm. For every one hundred people I meet, four of them are like essentially clinic. You could clinically call psychopaths. That's pretty crazy. Um, shout out to any psychopaths listening. <laughs> um, <clears throat> And, you know, so people who have no empathy really, or as I understand it, means, you know, 
no real con um, understanding of the value of other people, that it's just manipulation and trying to benefit oneself. And I don't know, because people have said that, don't seem to fully have a grasp on, as far as I can tell, spirituality and the nature of the soul and the, you know, the fact that, we're, you know, there's the dream when you're at night, you know, dreaming, and then there's, you know, normal life, and then there's the self-realization, spiritual vision, or like awakened consciousness, um, enlightenment, whatever you want to call it, that, that that's not like some make-believe thing, that that's actually sanity, and that what we call sanity normally is actually basically a dream. It's not as much a dream as when you're sleeping, but it's, we could call it a dream. Um, it's just a different type of dream because it's not real. Um, and that it's functional, it allows us to survive, but based in a nutshell, we're identified with the, our thoughts and the character in our, that we think we you know, identify with, these, this idea of who we are, a self-image, and that has like a way of talking, a way of being, a way of dressing, a way of thinking, um, and, but it's essentially a construct, um, and it's something which is very useful for, you know, a leopard needs to survive, monkey needs to survive, a human needs to survive. And so this is you know, useful for us to get by and propagate our genes and live, but it's not actually completely real or completely true. It's kind of like a simulation or you've got the VR goggles on, except that it's your whole body and the soul is kind of um, uh, to some, dreaming to some extent. You can get into episode seven um, of this podcast if you want, about like a awakening. Um, but basically... In a nutshell, that kind of thing, the people who talk about psychopathy, um, <clears throat> well, I don't know, I haven't looked into it very deeply, but I wonder, I'm not sure if, like, how much of the psychopaths are actually, and this is relevant for obviously war, the psychopaths, I, I suspect that a very large number of them, and perhaps even all of them, um, it's actually kind of like that they're lost in their mind, you know, and it's not... I think deep down, I think everyone is good. That's my belief. It's not my knowledge yet. Or, hmm, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> um, but, I mean, as far as I understand it, yeah, like we're all good deep down. We're all consciousness. Um, we're all the universe living itself from different angles. Um, and it only seems like we're these separate beings. And it's a paradox. To some extent, you know, we are separate. You, you don't know what I'm thinking, except if I talk like this. Um, and I don't know what you're thinking. Um, but, and so on and so forth. You feel things that, that I don't feel, etc. Um, we have free will. I believe in free will. But, we, so we are divided, like, you know, but we're also one. And I guess ultimately we're more one than divided. Nonetheless, um, to, not to go off topic, um, it seems to me that like a lot of that psychopath stuff, like probably all of it, or at least a lot of it would be um, kind of a, almost like a cultural or spiritual issue um, of people who are unable to observe their minds and are just completely lost in the, the programming, the mental programming. And they've got, you know, so basically we're all like um, can get lost in our thoughts and be a bit selfish and lose empathy for others. And I think, um, and in crises that happens even more, you know, um, when people are afraid then, or, you know, frustrated or whatever, um, then we kind of kick into a more primal gear, reptilian brain, and I think then, you know, empathy kind of goes out the window. Um, and so it seems like perhaps there's people who are kind of living in that state constantly. Um, 
But anyway, so I was saying apparently about 4% of the population around the world, you know, is a psychopath. You could call psychopaths or they are psychopaths. Um, but uh, so what was the point for that? <laughs> um, let's see. Um, yeah, so I believe I was saying, um, do you remember? Was it A? <laughs> B, C, or D? Um, play a game show. What was Jamie's previous tangent? Um, and not even Jamie's main point, but Jamie's previous tangent. We're climbing back up to the main point, um, which is peace. Um, so, but yeah, that I think everyone um, wants to be considered a good person. Everyone deep down considers themselves a good person. Psychopaths, I think they would consider themselves good, but maybe I would imagine, I don't know, but I would imagine that they um, just... Uh, they think that this is what everyone would do if they, you know, had their head screwed on straight and if they understood life properly, they would, yeah, of course, they would use people and, or maybe they think everyone does that anyway already, you know? And so, uh, yeah. So in either case, so that's, I mean, now we're talking about like, you know, intervening when someone's fighting, you know, or not to. If you just let someone get beaten up by someone else and it's, and it's clearly, you know, the person's just trying to bully them and just throw their weight around. I don't know. I'm not sure if, like, um, do you have the choice to not intervene there? I guess you have the choice, but you have to pay, accept the charge of cowardice, perhaps. If you don't at least try and talk to them, then I think, yeah, that's kind of not so cool. Um, and I don't know how if, if I feel okay about that. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, these complicated issues. But um, I think ideally we would all be doing mixed martial arts and, you know, meditating and doing yoga and studying philosophy through primary school. Instead of learning, oh, what's the difference between igneous and sedimentary rock, maybe we should learn, maybe more practical to learn, um, you know, uh, basic philosophy um, to, to help us understand what's right and wrong and um, breath work, how to manage your emotions and your health through the Wim Hof method or something um, and, uh, you know, how to defend yourself and defend others against wrongdoing. Um, seems there's a lot of, again, some other episode I did about education. How it seems there's a lot of practical things we, you know, oddly didn't get taught. Um, but uh, anyway, so this is, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. But I think basically the same thing goes or a similar thing goes for like groups. Two groups are fighting, you know. Um, one group has the right to, to defend itself if the other's, you know, trying to attack them, you know. Um, or countries. If someone's trying to attack your country, you have the right to fight back. Um, but it does get complicated where like say, okay, you know, Ukraine and Russia, you know, I wouldn't say Ukraine and Russia are fighting, although it is a bit like that. Like the, But, you know. I know a bunch of Ukrainians. I know a bunch of Russians. Um, and because um, I teach, I actually know like a bunch of them. Like I know like, I don't know, 20 Russians or something and like 30, 40 Ukrainians or something. Maybe 30 of each. I don't know. Um, and the um, some of them I was like, uh, say I was like, yeah, okay, you're okay, but yeah. You know, in some ways, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, didn't get along totally, you know. But that was like a rare exception. 
But like, you know, even them, I was like, okay, you're all right, whatever. But the vast, vast majority, I was like, oh, you're great people. You, you know, I love you, you, you guys, both of them, you know, they're just all basically the same, you know, just human beings. And um, so when it's like, oh, yeah, the war between, it's like, well, these people aren't at war. They're not like shooting each other in the classroom, you know. Um, although I can get some tense in a few moments. Um, but, uh, and so I see it more, more accurately would be to say the government of Russia and the government of Ukraine are fighting, or the militaries, um, and the common people are getting dragged into it. And then, of course, the common people, it's very natural to get primal about it and feel that it's the other country, the other people are attacking your people. Um, and that happens on both sides. And then you get a situation where, oh, well, you know, 60% of that country ha have been surveyed. And if we can trust the survey, apparently they say they're in favor of this war. And then the other people say it. And so you could get the idea that, but I think it's, it's much more like the situation of you have 10 friends here and 10 friend, another circle of friends over there. One person, you know, the, the noisiest, most annoying person from group A and the noisiest, most annoying person from group B start, you know, getting into a, a conflict and they drag all their friends into it. And now is it like, oh yeah, the two groups are fighting because they hate each other? Or is it just the two least peaceful members of each group pulled everyone into it and out of love and solidarity, everyone's joining in in self-defense as they see it? And I think that most wars are like this. It's just a collective insanity, like a sp downward spiral um, of people, you know, trying to do what's right and having confused ideas about it. And so, you know, say, making mistakes. Um, and then other people doing, like, you know, just standing by their friends or their fellows, you know. Um, but, you know, then it's like, oh, do does another country have the right to get involved? Or should they say, no, that's not, they're not, you know, say Russia isn't attacking my country, so actually I don't have the right. It's not self-defense for me to get in there. Or could you say, oh, yeah, but I'm a European country. Russia's, I mean, like in English, we would say that they're a European country as well. But, you know, the you know, vast majority of the population is in the European section, west of the Ural or Oral Mountains. Um, but the rest in Asia, right? But nonetheless, you could say, oh, yeah, you know, by some definition, we'd say that's Russia. This is Europe over here. Europe's defending Europe. Self-defense. You know? But... Um, I don't know, I guess you could make that argument like logically, but I think basically, practically, it's like it's we don't want escalation of war, you know? Like, it's so easy to forget, you know, bad things happen. It's so easy to forget the lessons. You get really sick. You haven't been taking care of yourself. And then you recover and you feel so wonderful. Oh my God, I'm so glad to get rid of that feeling of, you know, sickness and just the lack of vitality. And I couldn't even think, couldn't even like, be here and be present in the moment it's just awful and um it's just wanted to escape the moment it's just so uncomfortable and you know awful and painful um and then you get healthy and so you, you feel great but then pretty quickly you know you, it's e very easy to forget that and then maybe go back to the old ways of not taking care of your health and i think with war it's just a you know same thing more extreme example but after the first world war they said oh it's the war to end all wars because they're like what have we done what the hell have we done? We just absolutely ruined our civilization. And Europe, if, if the First World War, 
the First World War basically led to the Second World War in, in a very large way. Not, you know, there's complicated dynamics behind it, like, you know, were people financing both sides and trying to cause these things? There's an argument for that. Um, was it just, you know, into um, too much rivalry between these um, top he heavy kind of overly centralized um, um, political entities, um, too much power, and so then getting right, you know, jealous and suspicious of each other? Um, or, you know, um, was it just like, you know, the ancestral trauma and pain energy wanting to express itself and then, you know, taking, you know, kind of possessing the people, the humans with the, you know, the power to kind of start, kick things off. Um, there's many ways to look at it. But, you know, the Treaty of Versailles after World War One basically blames Germany when, you know, a more reasonable argument would say, like, everyone was equally culpable. Um, the You might have an argument that Germany, I've heard, you know, some things like Germany was you know, slightly more um, responsible because I think, what was it, like Dan Carlin's blueprint for Armageddon talking about like um, Dan Carlin's incredible history podcast, um, hardcore history. Um, also Daniele Bolelli, um, Daniele Bolelli, uh, History on Fire has an incredible history podcast. Both of them are amazing. But yeah, um, but I think Dan Carlin was saying something about, you know, Germany being very, very prepared for it and then, once it kicked off, you know, they couldn't pull it back. They had this tight timetable, tight schedule, which they had all figured out. Um, nonetheless, I think they didn't want to start it. As I understand it, you know, I'd say the best interpretation of that, I think, is that everyone was equally culpable for World War One. all the great powers. Germany, British Empire, so German Empire, British Empire, um, uh, Austro-Hungarian Empire, who were like kind of pushing into Serbia, trying to take over it, which is where, and then the Serbian nationalists fought back, killed the Archduke Franz Ferdinand, um, and then Serbia said, okay, uh, Austria-Hungary said, we're invading proper, and then Russia said, no, you don't, and because, you know, tr you know both Orthodox Christian, both Slavic peoples, traditionally they're aligned, you know, and Russia said, no, hey, you know, we'd already said, they'd already had agreements like, you know, I think it was already mutually agreed that they would protect them, or agreed that they would protect if they were attacked. And so then Russia and Austria-Hungary at war, Germany was, at, you know, agreed, like they were allied with Austria-Hungary. So then Russia's now at war with Germany, um, and France was, and Britain were, were allied with um, Russia. And so they, you know, were now at war with Germany and Austria-Hungary. And um, the Ottoman Empire over in like the Middle East, Turkey and all that, they, I believe, were not sure if they wanted to get involved or who they were going to join, um, but in the end, Britain had uh, sold them a bunch of, you know, uh, warships um, and at the last minute said, oh, thanks for the money, but we're not going to give them to you. We need them. We'll, we'll you know, we'll uh, sort of hook you up later. We need these for now. I, th I believe that was what happened. And then Austria, um, the Ottoman Empire were like, oh, okay, yeah, we're joining <laughs> the enemy, you know, like how dare you kind of thing. And then so you have, the, you know, the Axis powers like uh, the... Um, yeah, I think that's what you called them in World War One as well, right? Anyway, who were like Austria-Hungary, uh, Austria Germany, Ottoman Empire. And so you have this huge conflagration, all these people fighting each other and everyone gets murdered and it's all just young men, you know, old men talking, young men dying. That's what war is, someone said. And um, just totally destroyed all the savings and wealth and technology. There was, you know, those beautiful steampunk movies or like, you know, 
where they imagine, you know, like, oh, if that old world had kind of continued and, um, you know, or just, you know, maybe that's older steam-based technology. But anyway, um, the, 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 the world of Europe back then was incredibly, um, you know, like they, it wasn't littered with plastic everywhere, but it was very advanced, you know, um, in many ways. And um, a lot of, you know, progress was you know, people being pulled up out of poverty and, um, so, you know, it seems there's a, a lot of, basically just an enormous waste. Um, a lot of, you know, cities were destroyed. Um, countless, countless women um, just grew old, never having a long-term relationship because all the men were gone. Um, and, uh, you know, you can't imagine the trauma that that feeds out into the society. You know, they're, they're talking to people. They'll be meeting people for the rest of their lives. Like, oh, did you see, you know, Elo Eloise? Oh yeah, how is she? Oh yeah, yeah, she's a you know she's getting along. It's like we're all connected, you know that that trauma is just continue long after the war is over. That, like that's just one tiny example of how like millions of people who their loneliness just seeping out into the culture, even those who could have marriages, etc., and you know have partners going going forward, like they were still feeling the loneliness of these other people and. Um, who knows what kind of world we would have had if we hadn't had that at all. Maybe the Second World War just wouldn't have happened anyway just due to like not having that heavy emotional burden, tr you know, putting people close to the edge. And then anyway, but the Treaty of Versailles blamed it all on Germany. Um, and so then, you know, Germany had to repay France for, you know, to rebuild France for years and years. Germany was in really dire straits economically. And then that allowed, um, among other things, I'm simplifying things, but... Um, big business basically got behind uh, Hitler and said, yeah, okay, take, you know, make us, you know, you know, wealthy again and powerful. Um, and it allowed extremism to kind of rise because they'd had this extreme blaming the other might sound familiar with the Russia situation for us in, in the West. Generally it's like, Oh, it's just Russia. And in Russia it's probably, Oh, it's just Ukraine. We didn't do anything wrong. Both sides I think are wrong. It's like, no, you can't just say, you know, it's us against them. I didn't do anything. Maybe occasionally that happens. In this situation, I think, you know, like both sides have done wrong things. Um, but anyway, we'll get into a bit more detail there about my thoughts on that from what I'm aware of. I'll give you some things to look into maybe. But um, anyway, just before that, just overview thing. Like, uh, so, um, yeah, Hitler got to power and then it creates another war, you know. Um, so, yeah, we, we – and. The, then after the Second World War, okay, we learned the lesson now, yeah. And, you know, things like, yeah, oh, the Nuremberg trials, okay, just I'm just following orders, that's not enough. You need to, there's, you know, certain things, you can't force people to do this, consent is essential. And then, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic thing, or whatever, happens, um, uh, and all these things are thrown out the window. Oh, you can't work unless you take this experimental medical product, you know, or, um, you know, all kinds of things, like... Um, you know, no right to, to travel and this top-heavy government bossing people around again thing. And um, just, again, in, and very sadly, Germany, it's like, seems like they, they didn't learn the lesson, you know. Um, it's the, one of the most draconian, authoritarian um, uh, responses to, to the COVID crisis um, of all. And even the thing of, like, say, you're not allowed to say, Here's a, a tangent, but I guess it's relevant is, um, you know, you're not allowed to say, you know, uh, 
question the truth of the Holocaust, whether it happened or not. I mean, I think, or you get put in jail. I think um, that ironically is like they didn't learn the lesson. It's like, you know, people should be allowed to deny that, I think. And then you can go, oh, okay, good to know that that's what you think. Now, either I can try to prove you wrong um, and, uh, or I can just avoid you. And go, okay, I'm not, pff, great, I don't want to hang out with you. I don't want to give you a job or whatever, you know. You can kind of discourage that just by ostracizing them, going your, separating, going your own way, you know. It's good to know what people think, you know. Um, and you can prove, you know, point, point out why they're wrong in open debate. If you're right, you should be able to point out why they're wrong or someone should be able to, you know. Um, and, and instead the answer is like, oh, yeah, get the government to fix it. Give the government the power to take away your freedom if you express your opinion. And that's actually the same thing as the original problem. It was government had too much power. That was the whole problem with the Nazis. Um, and so your solution is give the government all this power again. So it's just insane. Like you didn't learn the lesson there. Um, so anyway, but, and then in the COVID thing, it's happened again. And then now with this, people beating the war drums for World War Three, same thing again. Like um, we don't seem to be learning. That that's what, who said that? Uh, history, we learn from history that we don't learn from history. Um, Hegel, isn't it? Um, interesting double meaning there like we learn that we don't learn from history so it's like one meaning would be um wh what is the lesson the lesson is we keep forgetting stuff you know we keep forgetting the lesson or you could learn like in uh, taking the meaning of so that so we learn from history you know in order for us to forget <laughs> like that's the that's the cycle it's meant to be that way anyway um so yeah okay i mean I'll give it in a bit. I'll give a little detail about why I think the situation with Ukraine and Russia, like, you know, my two cents, whatever, for what it's worth. But the more important thing would be, I think, look, you know, if there's a war, countless people are going to die, countless people are going to get injured, um, lose their vision, lose their hearing, lose their legs, can't walk. Do you like walking? I love walking. I don't want to be in a wheelchair. Can you imagine how horrible? Like, you know, people have to deal with it that all the day. And, you know, that's a a great um, courageous thing that they can they can be a good person and keep living and finding the bright side of life it's a powerful thing you know but we, i wouldn't wish it on anyone you know and so if you're asking for world war three like this guy i just saw some you know british politician asking you know on tv saying sky news being like oh yeah we need to directly confront russia you know not leave it up to ukraine it's like you're out of your mind like you're going to ruin the world <laughs> like there's nuclear warheads involved for one thing so it could be destroying you know the human race um and even you know like the biosphere we don't know like um you know how long it could take nature to kick back nature is very very strong but you know who knows how long uh, like that's a kind of poisonous the radiation you know um who knows you know how long it would take for nature to get back from that but just like the, you know, how many people would lose their lives, how many, you know, beautiful homes would be destroyed. Oh, lovely rug, there's wooden shelves, there's plants, there's nice, you know, kind of a marble countertop for the kitchen. There's a kind of brass thing here, or there's like a painting there. There's the couch, the kids play there, they're drawing on the floor. Oh, how about we turn it to ash? 
and the kids. Why not? Because that's what war is. It's like there's such a disconnect. We can't. Ima- I can't imagine even. You know, um, even though I'm thinking about it. You know, uh, it's just like incredible. And that's what's happening in Ukraine, and it's incredibly awful. And of course, you know, it's like um, awful that war shouldn't be happening. They. We'll get into the details, but you know, my heart goes out to them, and um, you know, uh, I think I really can't understand, and I have as much compassion as I can, but still, like, it's there's too much of a disconnect. I just can't imagine like how horrible it is to be there, and also for the Russians, there, like the Russian soldiers, so many of them, you know, Jesus, like that's an awful thing. Soldiers on both sides, civilians, you know, it's just Ukraine who are being, you know, the civilians being hurt. But in, you know, Russia too, you know, there's negative effects like, you know, they, they're they aware that the, the world now thinks they're all evil, they're all the boogeyman, you know. Um, and a lot of them, you know, are in jail because huge numbers of Russians are in jail for saying, hey, we don't want this war. And then, oh, Russians are evil. Or even the ones in prison for protesting. Would you have protested or would you have tried to keep your job? There's probably a lot of people who would be criticizing all Russians blanket in a blanket term who wouldn't have had the guts to do what a bunch of these imprisoned Russians did. Um, so things are complicated, you know, but I think the core of this is all like us against them. We need to avoid us against them psychology. It's this primal, primitive, reptilian brain thing of self, not self, attack, fight, flight, or freeze um, responses to stress, the uh, sympathetic nervous system. Um, and, you know, the truth is we're all connected. We're all one. And we're a tree attacking its own branches, you know, um, not seeing that we attack ourselves by doing so. Um, and you might say, well, that branch started it. But you realize that branch is you, yeah? <laughs> so, okay, you started it. Yeah, okay, cool. You can say they started it, we started it. It's actually the same thing. Humans started it. So let's zoom out, shall we? Humans have started a war. And in many parts of the world, it's not just Ukraine, right? In Yemen, there's a war. Basically, Saudi Arabia, backed by the United States of America, land of freedom, um, and uh, monopolization of natural resources in third world countries. Um, I love America in many ways, but like its government is, has been doing some... I think things which I think would be very hard to justify um, in, a, like, say, an extended conversation. Maybe you can justify it if you have an edited two-minute, you know, interview on some, you know, corporate news station owned by a bunch of billionaires, you know, who are benefiting from these wars through stock ownership in arms um, contractors like Raytheon or Lockheed Martin or whatever. Um, and a lot of these big things like, you know, BlackRock or Vanguard, these huge... Um, hedge funds, is that what you call them? Or is it, no, um, what would they be? Um, are they hedge funds? I'm not sure, but they're enormous, basically, you know, um, they invest in different various companies, you know. Um, you know, they're like heavily invested in pharmaceuticals, they're heavily invested in, I believe, in these military um, endeavors. And uh, yeah, so there's all this kind of intermingling, incestuous intermingling between the corporatocracy, basically. But Nonetheless, um, so there's wars in you know Yemen. There's a war in Yemen. People, you know, Houthi rebels being like and like 
really, really horrible things happening, you know, like millions of kids getting um, killed or dying of diseases and all, all this crazy stuff. I don't know. I can't remember the details, but it's been going for years and almost seems like no one talks about it. Um, but, uh, and then, you know, all kinds of wars, you know, civil wars and, you know, slavery, gangs going on all around the world, violence all over the place. But basically humans have attacked humans. Okay. So what's the, the right response? Should humans attack humans back? Will that fix the problem of humans attacking humans? I don't think so. I don't see how that makes sense. That it's just, oh, you know, um, you know, like the Buddha said, like uh, hatred can never overcome hatred. Only love can do that. This is a universal law, something like that. And um, yeah, it's uh, you know. You know, you can see that, say, um, with an animals that are at a lower level of consciousness than us, like, say, a dog is really, you know, uh, amped up and, you know, yapping away, you know, and re really intense. If you try shouting at it, um, in my experience, that doesn't do anything. It just feeds into their energy. Um, you need to, and I'm kind of, I think, Cesar Milan, the dog whisperer, talks about this, I believe, calm assertiveness. So basically... You know, you kind of embody a calm power, a state of strength, but um, calm, not like, you know, not like, par you know, um, parasympathetic nervous system, like calm, relaxed, you know, um, not um, all angry or whatever, um, or disturbed, emotionally upset, you know, and, um, and you just kind of can communicate from that level to the, say, the dog, and that they can then join you. They can then link up with your state of being. If you don't embody it first, they can't join you there. So you need to lead the way and just instead of trying to shout them down, build, create what you want, you know, them to join, you know, or that thing of like um, build it and they will come or, you know, make the, the old system obsolete by building a new system. You know, don't try to destroy it. The old system, just build a new one and make it obsolete, that kind of idea. Um, and so I think, Basically, yeah, the solution is peace, to be peaceful um, within yourself, within ourselves, be, learn to be peaceful. And there's so much conflict within psychologically, you know, we're at war with ourselves, you know, um, different motivations. And we're trying to, you know, um, kind of, you know, strike a balance between them. What's the word I'm looking for? Um, kind of, you know, negotiate those um, differences in our motivations and, you um, uh, reconcile mm, satisfying <laughs> that was the word um reconcile these you know different differing motivations um and so to find peace within and then to be able to communicate and connect with other individuals peacefully and then and with and with um groups of humans like so i can connect with a group of humans peacefully say me and the government or somewhere you know instead of being like oh you're doing this being like hey i understand you know you know this is what I, you know, maybe this is what you're doing well. These are some other things I think you're not doing so well, you know, but to not have hatred in your heart against any individual or group um, and to be peaceful within yourself in that way. And then um, groups of people who are doing that can then interact with other groups of people doing that. And if enough people are peaceful within um, and are able to see things clearly and speak from a place where they're not, going to you know just amplify the us against them psychology but kind of amplify the um 
us against us or us with us um, uh, psychology, you know, the oneness psychology, the awareness that we're all connected and that we're all just humans, you know, um, we're all one big family. Families don't always like each other, you know, families don't always love each other. Families aren't always healthy, but it is a family, you know, and it would be nice if the family could at least be civil. And so that's the goal. Just get the family, get humanity to be civil and to stop fighting. Um, we don't have to hang out with each other. Russia can do their thing over there. Ukraine do their thing here. You know, whatever. Um, and that can be hard to find out where do we set the boundaries. And so we have to talk. We have to negotiate to get through that. We have to empathize, try to put ourselves in others' shoes. And that takes time and work, you know. But um, it's absolutely worth it. And... Um, so I think, yeah, like um, having that peace within is actually, it's only, that's the only way to solve all these problems. I don't think, like Einstein or whatever saying, you can't solve a problem with the same level of consciousness that created it or the, with the same psychology that created it um, or you can't solve a problem with the same thinking that created it. So you need to kind of transcend to a new level. And so I think my point of view would be that's the, that's, what we need to do with, and it's getting really critical at this point because you know things, we don't want things to escalate any further. Um, uh, and yeah, so I don't know. I think we all need to start talking about this. And anyone listening to this, hey, go talk to other people and try to, you know, um, yeah, just I think we need to remind ourselves like about how important it is to be at peace and that f we should all know how to fight. I think and something you know. We should all probably take some classes in self-defense at some point. Anyone who is drawn to it, but I think everyone should. I think ideally, yeah, that would be great. You know, um, do some jujitsu, do some boxing or muay thai or something, striking. You know, learn how to punch and kick. Learn how to you know, you know, go to the ground and kind of you know protect yourself so you could put someone to sleep and then you just leave. So you haven't you know, ideally you you can diffuse a problem. If it's one on one, you take them to the ground, put them to sleep. You're out of there. They never see you again. Um, if you punch them, then there's the risk that they're going to fall and hit their head and get you know killed or something. So, and in always, preferably, just you know avoid it. Just talk your way out of it, or just ignore them, or just leave. You know. But I think if we know how to fight, then there's a certain look in the eye. There's a certain confidence, certain calmness, which um, marks us out as not prey. You know, and predator instincts kind of notice who is prey and who is not prey. Um, and so that's one thing, by all being stronger, um, countries being stronger, individuals being stronger, it can maybe deter that. Countries being stronger, you need to be careful not to get you know, too militaristic, like, oh yeah, we're going to be strong by talking shit about that other country. Like, no, just, I would say, have freedom, maximum freedom in your country and a cultural flourishing where there's a, a, you know, people are free to express themselves, free to keep the fruits of their labor. That would be in line with more free market capitalism, or libertarian kind of philosophy. That would be my kind of thing. I think, you know, keep the government as small as possible. Allow the people to be wealthy, healthy and wise, you know. Um, and, but yeah, so so we should know how to fight, really. And, you know, it's important to have militaries, I think, to protect boundaries and police to protect boundaries for individuals. Um I think at this time in history, that's the necessary step. We're not ready for full-on anarchy. Maybe down the road we will be, probably. 
um, eventually. But um, when we're more spiritually mature and aware of our interconnectedness and like, oh, that's just me and living another life, you know, he looks totally different. He's seven foot tall, black, and, you know, uh, his name is, you know, Jeremiah. But, uh, hey, you know, he's me living another life. You know, we'll be able to see that. Uh, but um, for now, I think, yeah, these more archaic things of like your armies and police, et cetera, and, you know, just doing, you know, martial arts for your own defense, that's all useful. But we should always try to avoid using it. Um, and violence should be a last resort and it should only be for self-defense. Um, and we should proactively try to make friends with other people, other groups, other countries, um, and just realize like, hey, like life is going to be way better if we don't go to war. Like in Russia and Ukraine, like, like, okay, I guess we can segue into that. But like, basically we just need to get everyone to talk and just the solution is not to get rid of Vladimir Putin and be like, oh yeah, have a regime change in Russia. Yeah, that worked great in Iraq, didn't it? Or Libya, you know? Like Libya's slave trades opened up again there now because of what the US did coming in, you know. And, you know, could mention that Gaddafi wanted to trade, uh, he wanted a gold-backed currency for Africa and that that threatened the US dollar. Um, so is it a coincidence that they were taken out? Are we being cynical or would it be naive to go, oh, that, that's a coincidence? Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Um, but nonetheless, you know, um, like the the solution, we just need to get the fighting to stop, like tomorrow, you know? So get people to talk and um, make a make some compromises and, you know, um, but that's difficult. And um, I think when people, there's going to be incentives on, you know, the Ukrainian commanders to say, oh, we're just around the corner. We're about to beat them. We just need to do this. Or the Russian commanders like, oh, we're just around the corner. We're going to beat them. We just need to do this. Who knows who's actually right? I've heard people say, it, you know, oh, Russia's in big trouble. Um, you know, um, other people say like, no, 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 no. Like that's all propaganda. Ukraine's in big trouble um, with the war militarily. But what are, humans are in big trouble. It's just insane. You know, all these cities being destroyed and people being killed and forced to flee and have their lives destroyed and their dreams, you know. They can't, or they, you know, wanted to start a business and serve people by bringing them this amazing service or this amazing product that's going to make people happy. Mm, can't do it because of this thing, you know. Um, or I want to do this. I need to get my basic needs met. Oh, the systems aren't working because there's a war and everything's just chaos, you know. Nothing works. It's just fr must be incredibly frustrating and depressing. Um, and just the waste of, you know, lives and the loves that could have been, the dreams that could have you know, blossoms and the the books that could have been written, books that could have been read, you know, the laughter that could have been shared. Uh, and we have the opportunity to limit the the cost um, and to end this. Um, so we should start at least trying. And you might say, oh, yeah, but, you know, it's too late for that. Pardon my French, but fuck that. That's ridiculous. It's never too late to try. And if you think it's too late to try it, then maybe, I don't know, maybe you need to go sit down and meditate and think about life and your, yourself and your choices. I mean, I guess people who are very closely involved to it, they would have stronger emotions and maybe they would think, no, no, there's no forgiveness here. But I think that does come from us against them psychology. And for sure, 
an enormous, a large number of Russians and a large number of Ukrainians and a large number of other people around the world are not going to be in any anytime soon. They're not going to be able to, if ever, get out of that us against them psychology and blaming this hypothetical other who is actually just themselves living other, another life, just human beings, um, their extended family, but seeing them as, oh, no, this is these other people. And, um, and a bunch of them might have the beliefs that they think, you know, yeah, they are my enemy. Look, they got, or whatever. There's going to be a large numbers on all sides who are not able to forgive. That's fine. We just need a large enough. Um, uh, we don't need everyone. We just need a large number of people to get to this um, understanding of the futility of conflict and the the treasure of peace. Um, and so, um, and that's you know hasn't really been um, attempted like the. Um, just like how you know Churchill in um, World War Two, um, someone said you know like in forty one or whatever like oh are you going to offer he's going to some conference in Quebec um, to meet the Americans oh are you going to offer the Germans peace he said oh God no they would accept it you know so there was no sense of like oh yeah let's just de-escalate and find peace it was like, no 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 we need to completely crush our enemy um, otherwise it's a draw or something you know it's like you know, very primitive, I think. Because, um, I mean, um, and, you know, it's complicated. Maybe the details would have had to require Hitler leaving or something or, you know, and maybe there's a case for that saying that they needed to continue. I don't know. But, um, you know, um, I think uh, negotiations, as far as I understand it, the, the West has been encouraging Ukraine not to um, engage in any negotiations about peace um and i think russia had been open i might be wrong about that but i be believe they said they they were open to negotiations um but that you know they're being rebuffed i might be wrong about that but I, that's what I, as i remember it um but anyway whatever the fact there it's like we need to just try to get you you know the ukrainian authorities and the russian authorities to talk and just try to make a compromise and have other europe instead of egging on ukraine saying trying to cool cool both sides down and and focus on peace you know um so i think yeah basically like this idea that like yeah you know russia's going to keep expanding you know like i don't know maybe but i mean america's expanding so what why can't russia do it i don't think america should be expanding and i don't think russia should be expanding but look like are we serious like weapons of mass destruction why did iraq really get invaded Again, I've heard they wanted to trade oil in euros. Again, it kind of comes down to this, you know, hegemony, global imperialism. And if you talk to the very educated Americans, you know, a lot of the wisest voices, they say like, yeah, we've got a big problem with this invisible American empire and we've, got, we've lost our way. And America's still got a lot of really beautiful um, things and it's the cores of its institutions are still there. Um, but it's, you know largely been co-opted by this corporatic imperialistic structure it's really intense but anyway you know i'm not against them either you know even the people who are doing those things or whatever like hey that's me doing it from another angle like you know um and uh it's pretty heavy to think about actually but um but yeah we're all just humans we're all on the same team you know so we just need to figure out how to de-escalate things all around the world but um so that would be my point of view anyway, peace, you know, and what, is it better to just go and wipe everyone out? It's like, no, I think we really haven't tried properly just to bring everyone to the table. Um, 
And I think we'd learn a lot through doing that. And I think, imagine if six months from now or six weeks from now, it was like, okay, um, this negotiated settlement, um, Ukraine um, is, uh, I don't know, I don't know what the details would be, but it's like um, Russia is completely withdrawn from Ukraine. Um, they've uh, agreed to help, you know, rebuild um, you know, like along with all these other countries around the world, maybe helping to rebuild to some extent. Or well, I think the best way to rebuild would be just cut <laughs> massively, cut taxes, and probably be more advanced than every other country within like a few decades. Um, but um, and you know, I don't know. Say okay, yeah, no NATO. Ukraine's not going to join NATO ever, um, or for the next thirty years or whatever. Um, I don't know what the details would be, but making compromises, you know? And you might say, but it's not Russia's country. Why are they allowed to be there? Why is America allowed to be in, you know, Iraq or, you know, trying to invade Iran, you know? Or why are they helping Saudi Arabia get into Yemen? Is Saudi Arabia meant to be in Yemen? Um, you know, uh, what else? You know, United States, why are they allowed to overthrow all these democratically elected countries in South America? And they've overthrown a bunch of them. Watch John Pilgrim. John Pilger's John Pilger, his um, war war on democracy film, um, it details that you know they threw overthrew the government democratically elected government of Iran in 1952, um, Chile, um, I believe they Honduras, El Salvador, I believe they're involved in Colombia, a bunch of places you know, um, uh, and. So, you know, they justify it. So that's the thing. If you if you don't live according to your principles, you lose all moral standing. And then someone can like Russia can go and invade a country, which I disagree with. They should not have invaded. That, that was wrong. Um, but then you now try to criticize them. And how can you, you know? Um, now, two wrongs don't make a right. But still, like, you need to be consistent. You need to criticize America for invading or the American military or military industrial complex or corporate you know, um, funded, um, overreaching government, um, if you, to be consistent. Now, so, yeah, I guess, um, and then the thing is, you know, um, it is natural that, you know, like, look, we're evolving out of, so before I give a few details about the war in Ukraine, what I understand, why it's so complicated and messy, um, I will say about the, the idea of like why does Russia have the right to go in there? I don't think they have the right to go in there, but I think um, they do. Have, they their point of, point of view, right, is that um, they have a sphere of influence, just like the EU has a sphere of influence, you know. And if someone was like, oh yeah, we're going to put military, you know, nu uh, nuclear warheads in Morocco, um, the EU would be like, um, no, you're not, and you'd be like, well, we're not in the EU. You have no right to tell us what to do. They'd be like, yeah, look, look, pal. Realistically, they can hit us. You're too close. You need to back off. And that's just the way it is. It's too, you know, it's very close to the borders. Usually what happens throughout history is big, um, powerful countries, which would be a prize to conquer, and so do attract conquer the attention of conquerors, um, they have the resources to protect themselves um, the same resources which attract um, conquerors, 
you know, and so make them vulnerable to that can also be used to protect the, the prize, you know, and pr prevent people from conquering them. And so naturally they'll have a military which tries to protect it. Um, so, you know, the, and what um, traditionally has happened is that there are buffer zones between empires. Um, so, you know, the Roman Empire would have its limits and then there would be between it and like whatever, you know, Persian Empire or Parthian or whatever it was, you know, they would have like, you know, as I understand it, they would have kingdoms in between which weren't aligned with either, but they would be maybe friendly to the Romans um, and the Romans would, you know, kind of like support them to some extent or whatever. Um, but it was a way that, you know, if they were invaded, then the Romans were, okay, here come these people, we need to be ready. But there would be no nasty surprises suddenly, you know. And um, so it is kind of a thing that's happened throughout history due to us evolving out of this more primal, unfortunate, you know, conflict mentality of like, you know, the prisoner's dilemma of like, you know, oh, basically I don't want to attack these random people, but maybe they're going to attack me. I can't take that risk. Okay, I'm just going to attack them first. But then maybe they're thinking the same thing. And so you get these self-fulfilling prophecies based out of fear and caution um, and a lack of knowledge, a lack of trust. Then you have this, um, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy of conflict um, that happens, I think, in business dealings. Oh, maybe they're going to cheat me. I better cheat them first, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, the prisoner dilemma, like, you know, you have two prisoners, like, oh, dob them in and, you know, we'll, we'll let you off or whatever, or we'll give you a deal, you know. And then they say that to both of them. And then if both of them just ignore them, they're fine. But if, you know, either one of them it doesn't trust the other enough, then they'll both, you know, um, they could both be, you know, one or both of them could go, go down. They could both dob each other in and then get in trouble. Something like that, you know. Anyway, so th there is some context for the idea that, you know, Russia would have like, okay, we're, we'll let the, and basically at the end of the Soviet Union, there was a deal. It wasn't put down on paper, um, but uh, they had a deal um, that, um, okay, we will, um, you know, we'll go along peacefully with uh, the reunification of Germany. Um, so, you know, East Germany re reunifies with um, Western Germany. Um, but NATO, the North American, sorry, <laughs> North Atlantic Treaty Organization cannot, will not extend further east, will not expand toward Russia's borders um, into the traditional sphere of influence of Russia, you know, whether these countries, which Russia was the big dog in the area and they didn't have to worry about these other people, you know, you know, taking them over or whatever. Um, and so, you know, Western Europe was like, yep, cool. And America, you know, um, and America had a lot of power, direct political power of Western Europe through military bases, financing of rebuilding after the war, and just in general control over large influence over, you know, um, the UN and, you know, these kinds of uh, international institutions, as I understand it, um, and just financial and, and economic power, the US being so powerful. And, um, you know, and then they had made that deal. They wouldn't expand further east. And then NATO broke that deal and they kept expanding east and they've been expanding and adding countries. And then now they're right up against the border of Russia, you know, um, and it's just kept going over, over the decades. And you could say, well, you know, those countries have the right to be aligned with whoever they want. And I can understand that. And I think there's, there's something to that, like freedom, everyone deserves their own sovereignty. Um, and so if Estonia wants to be aligned with like more with France than Russia, just because Estonia is next to Russia, doesn't mean that they should have to be aligned with Russia. So I can understand that for sure. 
But I still think there's a spirit of antagonism that seems to have been present in NATO's approach. And I think that, that they're now reaping the rewards, or the Ukrainians, you know, Ukrainians basically are reaping the bitter fruit sowed by that us-against-them psychology. And I believe Russia actually asked to join NATO. And that would have kind of solved the problem, wouldn't it? Because, you know, they're all part of, I don't know, but maybe they didn't trust them enough. Uh, I, I don't know, but... You know, that would be an interesting idea. I don't know. What about that? Like, so um, Ukraine can join NATO, but Russia also joins NATO. Maybe that's too big. I don't know if I want NATO to be this big. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I can definitely appreciate that argument that like these countries, you know, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, um, Belarus, Poland, the Czech Republic, um, Slovakia, you know, or, you know, whatever, all these... Um, countries who was formerly in the Russian sphere of influence, that may, they didn't have such a fun time under communism. Um, and that's not Russianism, exactly. it's not exactly the same thing, but some people made the argument that Russia has got a history of expansion and conquest and you know hard living and rough winters and getting almost absolutely wiped out by um, the Mongols. Um, and uh, so then, you know, in the medieval era, um, and then rebuilding, and that that's trauma and that's, you know, toughness is built into the fabric of that society i don't know maybe to some extent it could be true um but yeah i i think these are things that should be explored but there there is a fair point to be made that like um russia it's russia isn't completely crazy to be afraid of like rage an attempted regime change at the hands of the united states the united states has a long sordid history of doing this and look what they're trying to do now they're trying to get rid of Putin now and now in the lead up to the war um, there was a bit of shenanigans going on it wasn't just like Putin attacked and then you know Ukraine was defending so there's more to it now look this is my understanding of it I don't have all the time in the world to be reading and learning about these things but this is what I can figure out so far um, you could look up Majid Nawaz he's got a lot of interesting stuff about this um, there's a guy, um, Gonzalo Lira, L-I-R-A. Uh, he's got something called The Round Table now, I think, on YouTube because I think he's been, you know, like, you know, kicked off of YouTube a few times. Um, but, like, um, I don't... Now, Majid, I think, you know, seems very legit with his, his work. He's very careful. He always keeps receipts, as he says. You know, like, you know, if he says something, he'll keep... Tr he'll be able to go, okay, this is from this article that you know, this newspaper, see it there, it's verified there, you know, he'll keep track of all his sources, which is really cool. But um, Gonzalo Lira, you know, I don't know, I'd say take it with a pinch of salt. A lot of the stuff he says is interesting and some of it, you know, seems to make sense to me. Um, but uh, I really don't know if he's right or not, but it's interesting for me just to see other perspectives, you know, because you get this perspective in, you know, blanket at all in the media in the West. So it's, I want to have another perspective just to kind of see, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, usually. Um, so, but, you know, his position, you know, he would be saying kind of more like, yeah, like, uh, I don't think he's pro-Russia, um, but um, like, yeah, kind of more like skeptical of U the Ukrainian government. Um, so, and I mean, um, yeah, you could, there's uh, like, uh, what, what she calls him, um, 
uh, Adam, uh, the Podfather. Uh, oh my God, what's his last name? Um, uh, do, 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 do. No Agenda Podcast. I, I'm blanking on his name. Anyway, cool guy. Um, but he um, he goes talks quite a lot about like you know quite fluently about the you know the corruption and there's corruption on all sides here. But but basically, okay, you know, do your own research and um, you know I think you know I yeah I, I again I confess my ignorance. I don't know everything. But this is okay. Enough said. This is what I have picked up that in 20. 14, there was a coup in Ukraine led by America, the CIA, um, and Victoria Nuland, I think her name is, um, uh, some American, like, you know, US uh, official. Um, was she the ambassador there? I'm not sure. Anyway, or envoy to something. She um, apparently, you know, was largely invo involved in this. And the idea is that there was a coup where the government, there was an election in Ukraine. And a pro-Russian, you know, like the country, pro-Russian party had traditionally had power there. And this pro-Russian party had taken power in an election. They'd won the election. Um, and they, um, a bunch of people, well, that there was a, the CIA and the US government kind of um, fermented and encouraged and financed um, people like um, uh, a uh, kind of, "Quote unquote revolution," the Maidan um, revolution, um, where people were basically saying, "You know, this isn't right. It's not fair." Da da da, and um, protesting. And they, the president fled the country, and then a new president was brought in. But notice, they didn't. He didn't win the election. That was just like an, an undemocratic overthrow of government. Um, but like, so that those people, like, okay, look, you can disagree with this, but don't you have to follow the democratic process? You think just overthrowing it, is that really the way to do it? Be like, even if you're like, oh, we don't trust the election result. Okay, do it legally though, but like, um, you know, try to find legal processes. I don't know, it just seems a bit like, oh, that's going to backfire, you know. It's, um, and uh, so, but there was these protests in the streets and allegedly um, people who were very, you know, kind of more liberal and wanting... Um, and kind of Eurocentric, trying to join more, move more toward being part of the EU, they um, were supported, and it seems perhaps were kind of um, used by the CIA uh, to you know, in this kind of campaign um, to you know to encourage those kind of people on the streets. And so, a, a core of the theory, what you know, not my idea, but this is allegedly what I've heard many people say is that there was a core, which was, you know, CIA organized, um, who were, you know, paid to get out in the streets, throw, you know, rocks at, you know, windows and burn things and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, chant, you know, like, eh, you know, this isn't right. And then there was a groundswell of, you know, some support adding to that, you know, from people genuinely thinking this is an organic movement. Um, and that you had a, an alliance of the far right and the far left. So you had extreme liberals, quote unquote, um, and then also like fascists, and there's a, a large fascist contingency in Ukraine, the Azov Battalion, for example, um, who have like Black Sun logos, or they did on their uniforms, or at least, you know, I've seen some pictures, um, at least one. <laughs> but again, that was not Majinawas, but allegedly they were on uh, all of their uniforms until 
And I believe that's right. And then um, there was a news article saying they changed it. They've brought it in line with the rest of the Ukrainian military. So that would seem to confirm that, that, you know, they all had this Nazi logo on it. Um, and, you know, it doesn't, you know, so there's this idea, and that's what Putin was saying, you know, the denazification. So it's complicated. It's hard because it seems like there, there is, you know, and the guy, um, who, there is some sort of truth to this, to some extent, it seems. Um, the guy who formed the Azov Battalion, which became a proper part of the Ukrainian military only during this war, before that it was like a militia, as I understand it, they, um, uh, the founder said, oh, you know, this is, we are part of, you know, the, the final battle um, uh, to pr for, for the survival of the white races, something like that, you know, so clearly quite like, technically not fascist, but like um, Nazi, Nazi, like kind of, or like, um, or you could say white supremacist more accurately, perhaps. Um, anyway, so they're involved in and in the government to some extent. It seems there's um, some sort of political power to there to that. And um, so, and there was a, a shot fired during this 2014 coup um, at I believe the car of the president. And um, or so there was some sort of you know like lethal force involved. It didn't. No one got killed. I don't think. But um, and it, you know fled the country basically. And so it was presented as like, oh, a victory for democracy and freedom. But it seems basically like a coup, right? And then when that happened, um, in the uh, east of the country, there's areas which were traditionally Russian-speaking, 99% of them Russian-speaking. And they um, uh, seceded. They said, we don't recognize this government in Kiev. Um, that, uh, this, is not, this is an unconstitutional takeover of power. We are seceding. Uh, we're being independent um, uh, republics, so that's what's it, uh, Lugansk and Donetsk, I think they're called. Um, and so, why are they ninety percent Russian speaking? Um, well, actually, those areas were part of Russia until the I think the nineteen thirties. So quite recently, really in history, given you consider these places are like a thousand years old, um, and this is like a hundred years ago or less than a hundred years ago. Um, and um, uh, with the leader of the Soviet Union at the time, I think it was Khrushchev, I'm not sure, uh, said, I don't know why, but said, okay, we're all part of the Soviet Union, so this doesn't really matter. We're all one big country. So we're just going to change this part of Russia. We're going to connect to Ukraine. So the um, Ukrainian Soviet Republic is going to hold these lands in the east um, now, which were part of south, they were, they were the southwest of the, uh, the Russian Soviet Republic, right? But it was just like you know, basically giving Texas a bit, you know, less land and giving more to ooh geography. What uh, Louisiana? I don't know what borders Texas. Um, so, and then you know, and then there were these, as I understand it, there were these rapid um, cascade of political, unexpected kind of political processes and um, protests and things in the late Soviet Union in like the um, what like very. Um, late 80s or early 90s um, and suddenly base the thing kind of collapsed um, and you had Russia and all these other Soviet republics were no longer one big country and so suddenly not just in Ukraine but um, in many countries like Kazakhstan you know uh, Lithuania Latvia Estonia I believe all over the place there were apparently like 25 million Russians that's the population of Australia it's a lot of people 25 million Ru uh, Russians who had you know considered themselves Russian, who were now outside of the borders of what was now called Russia, um, and so that's part of it's the history, part of the history of this conflict with Ukraine, 
is that um, there, there are people there who feel like traditionally, like, you know, they have been part of Russia, you know, um, and so they, you know, maybe were happy enough being part of Ukraine or most of them, but when there's these kind of shenanigans of the takeover of power in 2014 and with that new government, there came a, a concerted push to basically ban Russian from schools and you weren't allowed to, you know, um, pro-Russian parties, I think were banned to some extent. Um, and so you had this kind of demonization of Russia going on. So you could understand with this us against them mentality why perhaps some of these people might have a desire to, you know, for Russia to come in and help them or to join Russia. Now, as I understand it, again, all of this, this is as far as I understand. I'm not saying I know these things, right? So, but I think it's, we need to try to, to bring peace. We do need to be honest. So I'm just trying to do my best to put, convey information as I have understood it. Just trying to find the truth. You know, it's messy, but it's worth trying. So um, I believe uh, then the central government in Kiev sent the military out to the east and started attacking um, the armed people who had declared them their independence um, in, you know, Donetsk and Lugansk. Um, and uh, the Donbass, that whole region is called, I think. Um, and uh, Crimea, I think, already at that time was like, the, again, same, similar thing, like traditionally part of Russia, I believe. Um, and uh, mostly, vast majority Russian speaking. Um, and they allegedly had a referendum and they declared independence. And then Russia, you know, sent in troops to, um, you know, apparently safeguard the independence of the referendum and make sure, you know, but then, you know, you could say, oh, yeah, sure, they were, but who knows, right? But um, but uh, over the, the Ukraine sent troops over to, you know, the Donbass and um, started shelling them and attacking. And, you know, there was, you know, as I understand it, there were a lot of casualties and things getting destroyed. And this was going on for six years up until 2022. So this was there was fighting already long before you know this invasion by Russia um, of last year, and um, so then and um, you know I'm sure there's a lot more to the picture, but um, but so then in that light you can see why you could justify perhaps if that's true, you know Russia invading as a self-defense thing of like okay these people are Russian speaking they were part of Russia under a hundred years ago. They've been treated very badly. It looks like there's been a you know foreign intervention, like the USA kind of basically overthrowing the government in a, a neighboring country to Russia, and then that new government attacking citizens right on the border of Russia and demonizing Russian culture and language. Um, imagine if someone you know came and took over Canada, you know, and was like you know, um, or took over Mexico. Um, I don't think the USA would be very happy about it. So. Um, you know, uh, that's would it be right for the USA to then invade Mexico and start killing a bunch of civilians and shutting down their infrastructure and power plant plants? No, that would be wrong. But still, you could understand it, you know, and try to have a bit more empathy. Um, and so, and you know, that's horrible. The Russians seem to be uh, the Russian military seems to be attacking civilian infrastructure, uh, water and power and that kind of thing, and that seems very very bad. I mean, it's bad enough you're attacking a military, but to attack things that affect the civilians so intentionally, very dark. But, um, and then Ukraine in general seems very entwined in it um, was apparently listed as the second most corrupt country in Europe. I don't know what number one was. Um, 
but uh you know and this you know these story you can look up stories from i guess it wouldn't be coming out right now so much but like you know up until this war right up until like allegations of you know um zelensky you know being involved in um uh basically what was the term embezzlement and offshore accounts um and having millions and millions of dollars and like huge expensive homes and like wait you're an act an actor you weren't you're in a tv show you weren't you know um very like well paid as far as you know i don't know i would I don't think you get it seems like on a scale beyond you know what you would be paid um and you know organ very dark things like child trafficking um and uh sex trafficking and organ harvesting and all kinds of crazy stuff and i have heard from some ukrainians who i've talked to who said yeah yeah the culture is very much this is very intense culture of corruption there's a lot of corruption um so i have had that confirmed like in person but um so but still you know like doesn't mean you can go invade a country like but um i mean it's complicated i don't know what the answer is but i think um i would love for there to be peace very soon um and for me to i would love to visit ukraine and go look around and meet people and you know experience their culture and i'd love to go visit russia and go experience their culture and meet their people and i think the whole world with there's so many things going on we just one less problem would be a great thing you know so um and i think it all comes ultimately from within um try to be more more at peace with ourselves um and try to find that clarity talk to ourselves and figure out what we really want what we really need and what's really right um and try to then help other people do that so help them what wise up to this process of self-awareness um and uh communication and expression and empathy and then we can if we kind of get if i get my house in order and you get your house in order then we can talk and we can get our houses even more in order and then third person starts doing that or we influence them like wow look at these guys that looks cool yeah you know making progress looks fun and then we all start doing it together you start getting these cumulative effects where we can start spreading and cultivating this culture of peace um and well-being um and oneness and being like you know you can have your own kingdom and you know flourish um but it can't be at the expense of someone else we need to move beyond that and if we continue with this old way of like conquering and just might is right and um whether it's russia or this united states whatever it doesn't matter ultimately it's not that russia it's not the united states it's humans and we're all humans and we're all responsible for this um and so when i feel like should i get angry at someone or should i get frustrated or in fact any negative emotion when i'm thinking should i give into this or should i try to connect to the breath and be at peace and remain aware and ground myself in consciousness and take a spiritual approach to it take it as a spiritual practice um i feel the responsibility of you know like avoiding like world war 3 essentially you know if that's too heavy then don't see it that way but that works for me like i really see it as connected and i think we all you know the butterfly effect like god only knows if we start taking um peace more to heart who knows what kind of uh snowball effects we can um bring along and um imagine what a beautiful world we can create if we can 
take all this dark energy of conflict and transmute it. Because to overcome this, it won't just disappear. It's like martial arts. You need to redirect that energy. And the, the people who have suffered the most, if they can become peaceful, they will be far happier than the people who have only suffered a little bit. Because that energy has to go somewhere. Or the great artists seem to always be people who, or almost always, people who have had to go very deep because they have suffered very deeply. And so I think if we can um, overcome these challenges, like we're going to be like um, skyrocketed into some really beautiful um, times like we haven't seen before. And so I think there's a lot of crazy things going on. So we really could benefit from um, that kind of positive momentum. So, yeah, I encourage you to find the peace within, the peace with your neighbor, the peace with your fellow human, peace with all the animals and the plants, like this guy hanging out next to me, um, peace with all life, um, and um, to encourage all of us to try to like, you know, find that peace within and find that peace without. Without peace, where will we be, eh? Um, so that's it. All right. Much love, everyone. Um, and... Uh, Thank you. Really, thank you.